0: Thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. How's everyone doing? It's great to be with you. Uh, Love Calvary Chapel, Aurora, and Pastor Ed and Marie. Pastor Ed is a great friend to me. Uh, He's always faithful to send me texts, see how I'm doing, uh, pray for me. And your church is so warm uh, and hospitable. It's always great uh, to be with you. Also, thank you for investing in Grace FM. Uh, You guys are in Colorado Springs in our city, and our church has really been uh, blessed by you guys bringing uh, Grace FM to us. So, You guys ready to study the word? All right, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 12 this morning. Philippians 3 verse 12, we're going to be looking at the mindset of maturity. Philippians 3 verse 12. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for... Christ's second coming where he's going to make all things right. And we ask that today you would get into our personal space, that you would confront us with your truth, that you would reveal our mindset. Lord, you know each person. You know what they're going through, their struggles, their past, the future that you have for them. So, Father, would you bless our time in your word? We welcome you here, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When I moved to Colorado, I was 21 uh, years old and got fascinated with our mountains, especially our 14ers, and decided to start hiking them. I remember the first 14er that I did, I drove out to the mountain and got there at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. If you know anything about hiking 14ers, that's the worst thing that you could possibly do. I would take very little preparation or forethought in climbing uh, these mountains. Went and did another 14er this summer, Mount Bierstadt, with my oldest daughter, Hannah. She's 13 years old. And taking my daughter on her first 14er was an incredible joy and an entirely different experience. Preparation went way up. Got my backpack out. I had plenty of water. I was gonna haul up as much water as needed plus some, change of clothes, a poncho, headed out the door, but I better get some matches and a lighter in case we get stuck up there. So what happened? What's the difference between being 21 and this point in my life now, taking my daughter hiking? There's a mindset of maturity, right? It's the mindset of a dad. I gotta make sure my little girl gets home safe. Think about in your life, how your thinking has changed as you have grown. Maybe you're thinking over the last 10 years, the last 15 years. And what we're going to look at specifically this morning is how God wants us to think. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Philippi while he's in prison. His theme is joy, the joy of the Lord. No matter what your circumstance, that you can have joy in the Lord. But what connects us to the joy of the Lord is how we think. If you read carefully this epistle, you'll find the word mind and thoughts referred to over and over again. My pastor growing up, he put it this way, if you change your mind, God will change your heart. But if you don't change your mind, God won't change your heart. Thoughts are really powerful. So we're praying that God would grow us in a mindset of maturity. Let's begin our journey in verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected. The Apostle Paul, writing about his own life, his own experience, says, I haven't attained, I haven't arrived. And with that statement, it shows us his desire to grow. Scholars look at this point in Paul's life and believe he's already walked with God for 30 years. 30 years, and he says, I haven't arrived. There's more room for growth In my relationship with God. For some reason in our relationship with the Lord, we can tend to get complacent, can't we? We're not hungry for growth. We're not hungry for change. Maybe you've walked with the Lord for a while, and you're like, been there, done that, got that down, not really expecting God to reveal more about himself or use your life in a a greater way. And that wasn't the mindset of Paul. The mindset of Paul was, I want to continue to grow. So if you're taking notes, write this down, that growth is possible and necessary. That's the first mindset we're to have, is to believe that growth is possible and that growth is necessary. If things aren't growing, they're dying. If you go out into your yard or you go walk at the park, plants that are alive are growing. If they're not growing, they're dying. And it's the same in our relationship with the Lord. God's always desiring growth because that shows us that we're connected to the Lord. It's, it's necessary. It's what God's will is and desire for us. But the harder question is, is it possible? Is it possible? Because we all have areas in our life where we fail and we sin over and over and we go, I don't even want to try in that area any longer. Maybe anger, Maybe lust, maybe covetousness, it may be an area that's broken in your marriage. We've tried to fix this. We've we've tried to change, and so we approach the future with, well, growth is just not possible. But does that line up with Christ? And does that line up with the gospel? The gospel is all about fresh starts and new beginnings. As believers, as God's children, Christ has died for us. He's risen from the dead. The power of sin has been broken, and Paul realizes God can continue to change me. God can continue to, to grow me. Do we have expectation in this last half of the year that God could change us, that he could bring change in, into our lives? So if we're going to have a forward mindset, first we have to believe that growth is necessary, but it's also possible, But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Paul says, I press on. Put yourself in prison. Do you think it would be easy to be given over to discouragement and despondency? To say, what's the point if I get up and try? If I get up and try, my circumstance is still the same. I'm still in prison. I'm not going to change my circumstance. But Paul, in his maturity, in his wisdom, knows that even in this prison, God has purposes. Earlier on in this epistle, Paul tells us that there was those of the prison guard that were getting saved. There were other inmates. There was opportunities to share the gospel. And he says, I'm not going to go through my days purposeless. God has a purpose for our days. He says, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Isn't that deep? Meaning Christ saved us for a purpose. So he wants to get up and discover those purposes. How many days of our lives do we just go through purposeless? I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, right? Not really looking to see God's purpose or God's plan, simply trying to survive, simply trying to get through, And Paul says, no, I'm going to get up. I'm going to press in. I'm going to press on because I believe that God has a purpose for this day. He's got a purpose for this afternoon, Monday morning. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The word workmanship is poema in the Greek. We get our English word poem. We're God's masterpiece And he's created us for good works. If you're alive, God has good works for you to walk in. He's got purpose for you to walk in. And so we have a mindset that says, I'm going to press on, I'm going to press in to discover those purposes that he has. In verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Don't you like it when people make it simple? What if Paul would have said, here's the 15 things that I do. Here's the 15 priorities that I have in my life. His one thing statement is significant. What if after church today, the Apostle Paul was here and living and he wanted to take you to lunch, to Chipotle or Smashburger, And over lunch, over a burrito, he said, I want to share with you the one thing that I made sure to do in my life. First, would you be excited? Would you be excited to have lunch with the Apostle Paul? Maybe. kind of. Five of you would be excited, right? The rest of us would be texting, right? No, we'd be excited. We'd be all ears. So we'd be open heart. And here, through this letter, we see the one thing that, that Paul did that we can adopt to our lives. It's interesting, this phrase, one thing, is used three times in the Bible. The first is Psalms 27. David says, the one thing... That he's desired is to dwell in the house of the Lord, to inquire of his beauty. In essence, David's saying, There's one thing I'm going to make sure I do in my life, and that's to be a worshiper. Jesus also gave us this phrase, one thing, with Mary. Mary and Martha were sisters, were in an argument. Says that Mary chose the one thing that was needful to sit at his feet and to hear his words, showing us the priority of being in God's word. And here Paul says, this is the one thing. We can learn from each of these one thing statements that are in the Bible. So here it is from Paul, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. He says, I forget those things that are behind so that I can press on and move towards the future. Do you think Paul could have been stuck, paralyzed in his past if he dwelled on it? absolutely. Maybe you know his story. He was Saul before God changed his name. He persecuted Christians, had them arrested, held the coats of the men who killed Stephen, who stoned Stephen. Those are the kind of images that don't depart from you. And yet here he says, I'm forgetting the past so that I can move forward into the future. In essence, he's saying, if I don't forget the past, I can't move forward in the future. I will be stuck in, in the past. Picture someone trying to move forward and press forward, but they've got this chain that's connected to this big ball. And I'm not talking about their spouse, not that ball and chain. But the ball and chain is the, their past. They're, they're moving forward, but not at the pace that God would want them to because They're dwelling and focusing on the past. What causes us to live in the past? I think the first that rises to the surface is our guilt, our remorse, condemnation. Satan's so quick to remind us of all of our sin before we knew Christ as our savior, but also sin that we've committed as Christians. Doesn't that bother you sometimes, the sin that we do as a believer? Like, we know better. The Spirit of God lives inside of us, and and we sin. And we start feeling guilty and ashamed and condemned. Not living in the forgiveness of God. Not applying God's forgiveness to our hearts and our lives. We have to take the blood of Jesus and allow the blood of Jesus to not only cover but remove that sin from us. Psalms 103 tells us, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgression from us. Did you hear that? He's removed it from you. As far as the east is from the west, the east and west never touch. You can head east and if you stay in that direction, you'll always be going east. Are you living in condemnation? Are you living in guilt from the past? May this morning you receive the forgiveness of God. It may be an emotional experience, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes we have to receive it by faith. God, I know that I'm forgiven because it has everything to do with the sacrifice of your son upon the cross. Not on my performance. Not on my works. Not whether I had a good week or a bad week. So now I'm forgetting what lies behind. The second thing that keeps us in our past is bitterness. It's not our sin, but it's the sin of others. We've all been sinned against. And if we're not careful we find ourselves replaying that experience in our minds over and over and over again. Instant replay. Maybe five weeks ago, five years ago, 15 years ago, but we know that story well. Right now, you've got a person's name that's coming to your heart and mind. You're thinking of all of the things that they have done wrong to you. And your soul's consumed with bitterness. And it's a very tricky way of getting us to live in the past. In fact, we're not even in the present. We're so busy thinking about that past hurt that we're really not here this last Sunday in July. We're not really looking forward to the future. In fact, we've kind of said, I'm gonna stop loving people. I'm gonna stop caring for people because back there I was open and I was loving and I was investing and it hurt. So I'm not gonna do that any longer. And if Satan can't get you to deny Christ, he'd love for you to go through your days bitter. Now, let me be honest with you. Let me be transparent. When someone has really hurt me, I never feel like forgiving. It's never an issue of emotion, it's a decision of obedience based on the will. It's changing the mind, it's declaring, Christ, you have forgiven me freely. So I'm choosing to forgive in Jesus' name. Maybe that person that's hurt you, would, would you begin the process right now and say, I forgive them. Put in their name, because Christ has forgiven me. Begin to pray for them. Like, really? I gotta pray for them? It's not gonna be very genuine, because if I start praying, I'm gonna say, God, get them and bust their teeth out while you're at it. I think that's in the Psalms somewhere. David prayed like that, so I'm justified, right? Make the choice, even if your heart's not there, begin to pray blessing upon them as Jesus instructed us for things that you would desire in your life. Deeper relationship with God, blessed family relationships, physical provision, and you start to pray for them. You make that choice of the will to let go of bitterness. Haven't they hurt you enough? if we're bitter, then we're allowing them to hurt us again today. We're allowing them to destroy the today in the future. And, and forgiveness is for our benefit and for God to be glorified. And we're willing to put it into God's hands. God's the faithful judge. No one's going to get away with anything. They're accountable to the Lord. And it allows us to forgive. But there's another thing that keeps us from moving forward into the future. And it's the good old days syndrome. You know what that is? where we look back not on our sin, not looking back at other people's hurt, but we're looking back and we're going, man, 2006, that was a great year. Oh, some of you, it was 96. For some of you, maybe it was 1946. I don't know. (laughs) But there was a season where things were really good in your life. There was good financial provision close to the Lord Things were great relationally in your family and you had friendships and now it's a time of difficulty and you're like, oh, things just aren't what they used to be. Maybe for you empty nesters, it was when you had kids in the home. Like I loved having my kids in the home and I look back on that with great fondness and then those of us that do have kids in the home, we can't wait to be empty nesters, right? Oftentimes we don't remember the past accurately. But let's say we are remembering the past accurately. We need to be thankful for those things. But we can't live there and we can't dwell there. And it could be impeding us, keeping us from investing in the moment and pressing into the future. With this second point of forget what lies in the past, I'm not saying that you don't learn from the past. You're not thankful for the past, but you don't live there and you don't dwell there. So we go on. And reaching forward to those things which lie ahead. The ESV translation says straining forward to what lies ahead. Third thing to write down is strain forward into his purposes. I like the reaching forward, straining forward, because that's the reality is we're saying, I believe that God has a future. I believe that God has a hope for me, even though I'm in prison, even though my circumstance may not change, and I'm reaching forward to find his purpose. I'm pressing into his purpose that he has for my life. We think of the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, filled with so much difficulty sold as a slave by his brothers, falsely accused, imprisoned. And what I see in Joseph is he kept being faithful wherever he was at, even as a slave, even as a prisoner, discovering God's purposes. And God wasn't done yet. God had a great future for for Joseph. Some of you have turned yourself off You're numb to the world around you. You're numb to your relationship with God. You're numb to loving others. And right now, you're not liking me very much. You're like, I don't know who this tall, skinny guy is from Colorado Springs, but I'm not ready to turn back on. And God, through his love for you, he wants you to start living. He wants you to start loving. He wants you to start straining forward. He wants this afternoon to look different than what you had planned To say, God wants me to go deeper in my relationship with Him. God wants me to start loving people. Maybe because of hurt, you're turned off towards your spouse. And you're going to continue in the marriage, but you're not investing in the marriage. And God says, I want to flip the switch. It's time to start loving your spouse. Maybe because you're single and you long to be married and you say, I'm tired of being alone and the pain's too much. It's just easier to go ahead and and shut off. And God says, no, I I want you to be alive. I want you to start loving me in your singleness. I want to use you in your singleness. Maybe you're at work, you're just shut off. You're like, I go to work, I do my job, keep my head down, but you know you're not doing your best. You know you're not investing in others, and God's saying, come on, come on, let's go. Strain forward, get up, and press into his purposes. I know it's not easy, but it's worthwhile. It's a choice of the mind. It's the way that we think, saying, I'm forgetting of the past, so I can reach forward to what God has ahead. In verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. What is Paul pressing towards? What's his goal? Goal. What's his target? The upward call in Christ Jesus. To know Christ more and to make Christ known. Because it's important for us to keep the goal in mind. Verse 15 tells us, Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. There it is, the mindset of maturity. How do we measure, how do we discern spiritual maturity in the Lord? One of the ways is how we think. And do we have this mindset of forgetting what's behind to press forward to what God has in the future? The end of verse 15 says, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Fourth thing to write down to meditate upon, this mindset is a must. This mindset is a must. God is saying, if we don't think this way, that he'll reveal it to us that he'll show us. This is how important it is to God that we think this way. So what is God revealing to you about your thoughts? What is he showing you? Maybe it's that you have a defeatist mindset about the future. And the Lord's saying, okay, it's time to start believing my promises about the future. Maybe as we've been studying the word together, God's been revealing, yep, there's an aspect where you're living in the past. It's time to forget the past and move forward to the future. But in God's economy, how important is this? Very important. Why? Cuz he's saying if you think otherwise, he's going to reveal it to you. He's going to show you. He's going to reveal some stinking thinking. Do you have some stinking thinking where God's saying, "Okay, it's it's time now to start changing the way that you would think." In verse 16, Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Only hold true to what you've already attained. Scripture is telling us as we press forward to grow in the Lord, we don't want to lose sight of territory that's already been won by the Lord, growth that He's already brought into our lives. Verse 17 is very insightful. It says, Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. Context of the Bible is so beautiful. It really opens up the meaning to us. Because as we think about moving forward and growing in Christ, the next question is how? How do I grow in Christ? How do I move forward? And so here Paul says, note a godly example. He says, my life is an example for you but also look around you and see other people that are following Christ and use them as an example. Maybe you've run a race before, a 5K or a half marathon or a full marathon. I don't know why you'd really want to do that, but let's say you have. A lot of times in running a race, you see the person that's just in front of you and you say, I'm going to keep up with them. I'm going to keep them in sight. A lot of things are more caught than taught, and the Christian life is is that way. It says, look around, see people that are following Christ, see those that are just ahead of you, and do what they do. Use them as a pattern. I think of my son Wyatt. He's five years old. Friday morning's is trash day at our house, and it's the men of the family that are going to take out the trash, He loves helping take out the trash. He's learning to tie the bags. Now he's big enough where he can actually throw the bag into the big green trash can in the garage. And so cute to see him like, you know, and he got it. How did he learn to take out the trash? By just walking around and watching me take out the trash. When I mow the lawn, he's got his plastic mower and he's following me and he's learning to mow the grass. Ha 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 ha, I got a master plan. Gonna have a lawn mower in my house. I had a plastic mower when my dad used to, to mow the lawn. Things, things are caught, you just, you just catch it, you watch, and you go, ah, oh, I get it. When you're here at church, look around, and maybe there's believers that have walked with the Lord a little bit longer and watch what they do, and you go, oh, wow, they take notes. They, they come with pen and paper, and they're writing things down. I wonder, if, I wonder if that would help. I watch the way that husband treats his wife. There's a kindness there. There's a, there's a tenderness. There's a, there's a thoughtfulness. I, I see that mom. I see that dad. I, I see that person living out their singleness in a, in a godly way. Maybe go a step further than to ask them and say, you know what, w- would you consider being my mentor? And I know that sounds really official, but basically you're just entering into a relationship where you get to ask questions and watch their life. Can I take you to lunch? Would you come over to my house? Could we get coffee? Maybe if you've walked with the Lord for a little bit, you look around Calvary Aurora and you go, is there somebody I can help? Is there a younger couple that we can come, come alongside we can invite into our lives. But this is a very practical way to move forward, is learn from a godly example, learn from a godly pattern. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is warning about those who oppose the cross. So you're discerning people. You're going, this is a godly example for me to follow, and this is someone who's opposed to the things of Christ. The fruit Of being an enemy to the cross in verse 19 whose end is destruction whose God is their belly whose glory is their shame who set their mind on earthly things someone who's an enemy to the cross for all of eternity ultimately it ends in complete destruction hell being eternally separated from God their marching orders in this life their God is their belly meaning they're worshiping just their survival. Got to pay the bills. Got to get groceries. And that's what their focus is on. And they set their mind upon earthly things. This is contrasted with us. And it's this in verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven. Last thing to write down is lay hold of our heavenly citizenship. The reason I wanted to include this in this morning's study it's because when we think about moving forward in the mindset of maturity, we have to have the hope of heaven. So about three weeks ago, it was a Saturday night at Rocky Mountain Calvary. Our, our service times are very similar to yours. We have Saturday night at 6 and Sunday at 9 and 11. And at the end of the message, we are having a time of worship and felt the Lord speak to my heart saying, Eric, if you only knew how good heaven's going to be, it would sure help you in moving forward. Because a lot of times when I'm trying to move forward in my own life, I'm trying to talk myself into it. I know it's right. I know it's God's word. And I got to start thinking this way. And it's time for me to stop feeling sorry for myself and forget the past. And that only goes so far. But when you get a glimpse of heaven, when you lay hold of your heavenly citizenship, and you realize this life is the worst that it's ever going to get, our hope is in eternity, then that motivates us. And Paul here, as he's in prison, he's saying, Church of Philippi, you're citizens of heaven. Lay hold of, of that citizenship. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled because I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. We would probably agree, even in the fallen state that this earth is pretty good. We read the Genesis account. God created it in six days. Imagine how wonderful heaven's going to be. Christ has been preparing a place for us for some time. Maybe your idea of heaven is you think it's going to be boring. It's amazing how the message on hell has kind of been, hey, I'm not afraid to go to hell. Once it freezes over, I'm going to ski and snowboard there too. Is that a biblical definition of hell? No. And then heaven's been made out to be boring. Like, why would you want to go to heaven? This is going to sit on a cloud with a chubby angel and play harps forever. That sounds like a blast. I really want to be in, be in heaven for eternity doing that. But what does the Bible say about heaven? That the streets are paved with gold. What we value so much here on earth is simply asphalt in heaven. When was the last time you went out into the parking lot and you're like, whoa, look at that asphalt. This is a nice parking lot, right? No, it's the least valuable thing that we have. That's why we, we pave our streets with it. So what's most valuable here on earth is of least value in heaven. I mean, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more doctor's appointments, no more cancer. Church, you know what that means? We're not going to need health insurance. Woo! Praise God, right? No more deductibles and premiums and, and all of those, those types of things. We're going to see God. We're going to behold Him. The Bible tells us that we're going to rule and reign with Christ. He's going to have tasks for us to do. And here we're encouraged to hold on to the hope of heaven. That we're citizens of heaven. This is a Roman colony, the city of Philippi. So Roman citizenship was a very important at this point in history. If you were a Roman citizen, you had the right to vote in the Roman Empire, the right to be able to own property. They had second-class citizens that were allies of the state of Rome that didn't have all of the privileges of first-class citizens, but then there was also a lot of slaves. Slaves were not citizens, nor did they even have the legal right to personhood. Whoa. So this church practically would know and understand the importance of citizenship. And Paul's saying you've got something far greater than Roman citizenship. You are a citizen of heaven, so lay hold of that citizenship. The end of verse 20 says from which also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're longing for, is Jesus, to see him, behold him, for him to come and rule and reign upon this earth, his second coming. Our last verse, verse 21, who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself." Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning we're going to receive a glorified risen body like his glorified risen body. When you think of a glorified body, don't think about getting this body over again. This is a temporal body. It's a tent. It wasn't made to last for all of eternity. Our glorified body will be your habitation as a believer for all of eternity, infinity upon affinity upon affinity upon affinity for eternity. And 2 Corinthians 4, it tells us, says, do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Did you know your outward man is perishing? If you're 25, you don't know that yet, you know? If you're 17, you don't know yet that your outward man is perishing. But as you get a little bit older, the mirror is really good at reminding you that the outward man is perishing. Did you guys hear the new study? That 10 out of 10 people that eat organic, they die. (laughs) That's what happens, right? Now, it's smart to eat healthy and to exercise. It's going to help your quality of life. But at the end of the day, it doesn't stop the decay process. We've got an expiration date placed on the back of our head that only God knows. This body was never meant to live for all of eternity. And it's a reminder, hey, you're getting closer to your glorified body. You're getting closer to heaven. This example of God transforming our lowly body into his glorious body is just a small piece of what he's going to do in all areas. It says, according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself. His ability to conquer death shows how he's going to bring all things into his rule, into his subjection, and we look forward to that. So church, consider a few questions with me. Don't write these down. Just in your own heart and mind, just let's do some evaluation. What is my mindset in regards to these areas? How do I think And then the next is, do I see growth as necessary and possible? Do I realize it's necessary, but do I also believe that it's possible? Am I pressing into God's purposes for me? Do you believe that he's got a purpose for today and a purpose for this week? Or does he just have a purpose for Greg Laurie and Billy Graham and James Dobson? No, no. He's got a purpose for all of us. Am I pressing into God's purpose for me? Am I dwelling and living in the past? I think this is the heart of this morning's message in this question. Am I willing for God to change my mind? Because a lot of times, we're not. We're not willing for God to change our mind. I'm gonna keep thinking this way. There's a part of us it almost feels good about beating ourselves up for our past, or continuing in a place of bitterness, or relishing the good old days. God will reveal to us that we're thinking wrong in error, but we have to change the way that we think. Are we willing for God to change our minds? Am I laying hold of heaven? Am I laying hold of that citizenship that I, we have in heaven? As American citizens, our citizenship has great earthly value. It's the greatest passport to have in your pocket. If you've traveled internationally, you know that. The international community loves for Americans to come visit their country. What gets you back into the US is, is, that, is that passport. US citizenship is a big deal. My buddy in school ministry uh, years ago, he got out of school ministry, And he did something crazy, he he married a Canadian. Big risk right there. Actually worked out, they've been married a long time now, they have seven boys, no girls, seven boys. And I remember when Brent called and he said, Margo got her US citizenship. They'd gone through years of struggle, spending money, investing in lawyers, time, patience, and she was a citizen of the United States of America. And you know, it's very meaningful to her having gone through that process. And we're thankful for our country. We're thankful for the blessing of being U.S. citizens. We want to lay hold of that earthly citizenship, but even more so, our heavenly citizenship. Church, you've got a heavenly passport. Take hold of it and thank the Lord. When we think of John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have everlasting life. If you believe in Christ, you have got a reservation in heaven. Church, would you pray with me? And let's ask that God would apply these truths to our heart and mind. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. God, we want to be honest with you. We we know that you know us. We can't hide from you. And we choose to adopt your word this morning. We choose to forget those things that lie behind. What are the things in your past that you need to forget? Is it your own failure? Sin of others? The good old days? Put that in the Lord's hands. Talk with him. Are you in a place this morning where you've turned off? You've turned off to God. You've turned off to others. Would you acknowledge that before him? Father, for those that are saying that's me, Lord, would you do a work in their hearts and in their minds? Would you flip that switch? would you begin to speak to them and to reveal to them the things that you have for them and their future here on this earth, but also their future in heaven? God, by your grace, would you really take your word and allow it to be planted deep in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? And as we prepare for this last song, Just go ahead and let's stand together. As we prepare for this last song, maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. Jesus tells us that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with him. To receive Christ is to believe, first, to understand that we're sinners. We've broken God's commands and his law to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus, cry out to Jesus, Jesus, would you save me? I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again, be the Lord of my life. If you've never made that decision, as we sing this last song, would you come? We're inviting you to come. There's gonna be a ministry team and pastors here in the front and let us know I'm ready to receive Christ as my savior. We're gonna pray with you. And Christ is going to invite you into his kingdom. But also, church believers, this last song is not a who can get the best position in the parking lot. You know, who can go get their kids first out of children's ministry. But this is the moment to respond. Do you believe in the power of prayer? And as we've heard God's word and you say, you know what, I am stuck in condemnation. I'm going to ask that you'd come and ask someone on the ministry team to pray with you. Just walk right up to him, Say, I'm, I'm stuck in the condemnation of my past because God moves through prayer. Maybe you're stuck in bitterness and you heard the word and you want to take a step right now. Come, come to the ministry team. I need prayer. I'm st- stuck in bitterness. Maybe you're numb. You're shut off. You're turned off to God and others. Come and receive prayer and ask that God would do a work in your heart and your life. Maybe you're struggling with believing that he's got a future and a hope for you. Come and receive prayer. But as you need to respond, respond. Thank you so much for having me. May God bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may you walk boldly into the future that he has for you. Let's worship together. Let's lift our voices. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.